morning, everyone. I greet you in Jesus' name on this beautiful Easter morning. We had a beautiful sunrise this morning. I don't know how many of you saw it. Uh, pink sky in the east and in the west and in the north and south and overhead. Uh, just scatterings of pink clouds, puffy pink clouds. And it was really, really beautiful for a little while. And uh, I wondered what the first Easter morning may have looked like. What kind of, uh, you know, we've seen pictures, pieces of art, and uh, what, what did it look like? Well, that's not, not so very important. What is important is the story and the fact that Jesus rose again. It really is the greatest story. And it's, it's more than a story, it's a message. It's a message. It's a message of hope. It's a message of victory, of joy in a Savior that's alive. And it's a, a message of a new life, an abundant life, like we heard in our Sunday school class this morning. It's a message of a peace that, that passes understanding because we can know God now, today, and we can know Him forever. We must believe. We must believe that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. You know, when Jesus was hanging on the cross and dying, he said at one point, he cried, It is finished. And what he was speaking of was the sacrifice. The sacrifice was offered, the blood was shed, his life was given, and he died. But without the resurrection, we'd be in trouble we'd be in serious trouble. I'd like to uh, notice with you 1 Corinthians 15, <clears throat> a few verses. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. But if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men 
most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. There's a lot about the a lot about the spiritual realm that we do not understand. And, and what all Satan understood, and what all he was feeling after the crucifixion, we're not sure. He must certainly have felt that it was a victory. Was he suspicious? Was he uneasy? Was he afraid that Jesus would do as he said and raise from the dead? He knew that Jesus had raised dead people to life. And, you know, we don't know how hard, how much he was aware of and how hard he tried. But nothing, absolutely nothing, could keep, could keep our Savior in the grave. There's a, a joyous song about the resurrection that maybe we could just sing it. Uh, 284, if Robbie could lead that for us. <clears throat> maybe we could stand to uh, sing this song so we can get fill our lungs well.
on resurrection morning, Peter was with the disciples. And when the ladies went with their spices to the tomb, they were wondering, you know, who would roll this stone away? Who would move this stone? It was a large stone. They remembered that. And they were greatly surprised when they, when they got there to the tomb. And they saw that the stone was rolled away. We're familiar with the story. And Mary Magdalene, it says, hurried back. Maybe she left the other ladies there at the, at the tomb. And she hurried to where Peter and John were staying. And I expect she arrived breathlessly with this news. They've taken the body. Jesus' body is gone, and we don't know where he took it. And this was of great interest to Peter and John. And they raced to the tomb. They ran. And the scripture tells us that John ran faster. And he got there first. And when he got there, he stopped and looked in. And he could see on that, on that shelf where the body had lay that the linen was lying there. The linen that had wrapped Jesus' body. And Jesus wasn't there. When Peter arrived... Uh, typical of him. He didn't stop. He just barged right in to see what was there. And he saw the cloths too. And he saw the napkin or the handkerchief that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, that it was folded neatly and lying there separate from the rest of the linen cloths. And John went in too, and they gazed at the place where Jesus' body had laid. But it was very obvious that body was not there. Jesus was not there. John believed. Jesus must be alive. Peter was wondering, what has happened? What's, what's happening here? And they returned to where they were staying. And they, along with others, had heard the reports of the women and the other women who had seen the angels. And their story seemed like an idle tale. It was just, you know, somebody I heard say this not long ago. Anything, uh, I believe it was Raymond said this about something. If something's too good to be true, it's probably not true. And that's probably the way they were thinking at this, at this point. Somewhere that day, we don't know the details at all. It doesn't tell us in the Bible. But somewhere that day, Jesus met Peter. When those two uh, that had gone to Emmaus came back to Jerusalem and uh, met with the disciples, the disciples told them, the Lord is risen. The Lord has appeared to Simon. And in 1 Corinthians 15, the chapter we were just looking at, it says there in verses 4 and 5 about Jesus being buried. 
and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve. So nothing is recorded about that incident. Maybe, maybe it was left uh, just to be a very private, uh, personal experience between Peter and his Lord. Later, you remember Jesus had told the disciples to go to Galilee. And Peter and John and some other of the disciples uh, had been there for a little while and they decided to go fishing. Peter said, I'm going fishing. And some others went along there in the Sea of Galilee and they fished all night and caught no fishes, as the little song reminds us of. In the morning, there was somebody standing on the shore and a stranger who called to them uh, and asked if they had anything to eat. Do you have anything to eat? No, we don't, we don't have anything. Throw your, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And they did, and they caught a multitude of fish. And John said to Peter, It's Jesus. It's got to be. And Peter grabbed his outer garment and leaped into the water and splashed ashore. They weren't far out on the shore, from the shore. And you remember that miracle breakfast. After that breakfast, Jesus had some questions for Peter. When they had dined, it says in John 21, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. And Jesus said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus, Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldst. But when thou shalt be old, Thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Now remember, it was Peter who once very confidently said that he would never, never forsake Jesus, regardless what the others did. 
But here he was humble. And he didn't say, I love Jesus. I love you more than the rest of these. I love you more than anybody. He was rather humble. We've been talking about Peter and uh, his experience there through the resurrection and after. Let's review a little bit the earlier Peter. What did he think of Jesus when he, uh, in, in his earlier meetings with Jesus? You remember he was a fisherman. He fished on the Sea of Galilee. He was in partnership there with his brother, Andrew. And uh, <clears throat> the first time that he met Jesus uh, was near the Jordan. And we wonder, was Peter already a seeker? Was he already somebody who was serious about uh, learning more about God, about the Messiah, the coming Messiah? Apparently he had heard of John the Baptist and seems like he was there in that area with with Andrew uh, when John the Baptist was baptizing there. And his brother Andrew was in the crowd when, when John the Baptist proclaimed the Messiah and looking upon Jesus as he walked, this is John the Baptist saying, he saith, behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, what seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, about four o'clock in the afternoon. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first findeth his own brother Simon. He went to Peter and said, We have found the Messiah, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. So that was Peter's first meeting with Jesus. Do you think Peter was impressed? You know, it doesn't tell us how, how he responded there. But I think we can safely conclude that he was impressed and that he thought about this Messiah a lot. He didn't just stay there. He went back to fishing again, but went back to his work. But I'm sure that he thought a lot about that meeting and this Messiah. What all does this mean for Israel? What all does this mean for me? And then one day as they were there at Galilee at the sea and fishing, throwing their net into the sea, Jesus came along the shore and he said to Simon and Andrew, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets 
and followed him. So when Jesus called them there, uh, it wasn't a stranger. They had met him before. It wasn't like a call totally out of the blue. Peter knew who this was, and Peter was ready to follow. And he came to dearly love Jesus. And he developed a, a fierce loyalty for Jesus. And I believe that he was a serious and devoted follower. But you know, there was still a lot of Peter in Peter. Peter was opinionated. You know, he was even opinionated about Jesus' ministry and, and you know, how, how things should work for, for Jesus. And when Jesus began to tell them in Matthew 16 how he was going to go to Jerusalem and how he would be crucified and how he would raise again the third day, which somehow they didn't hear that last part. And Peter said to Jesus, you know, it says actually that he rebuked him. He rebuked Jesus. He said, no, this, this should not happen. This shall not happen. Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And that's when Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So basically, Peter, you're a man, and you think like a man, you think like the flesh. You're carnal. He's very opinionated about how things should be or not be. He also had a strong sense of justice and fairness. And he saw, he could see virtue in forgiveness. He could see that as being a good thing. Uh, there's a place for forgiveness, but there are limits, you know. Certainly there are limits. And remember how he came to Jesus and said, How oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Would seven times be more than enough? <clears throat> some point, surely there should be some justice. And remember how, how uh, when Jesus came to wash Peter's feet, how Peter said, Dost thou wash my feet? Thou shalt never wash my feet. You know, I, I have a high regard for you. And... You know, the way I see it, it would, be, it would be disrespectful for you to wash my feet. And he contradicted Jesus. And we know how Jesus answered and how Peter did a complete about turn. And remember how sure Peter was, we already touched on it, how sure he was when Jesus said how He's going to be uh, uh, arrested. He didn't say it in those words, but how all will be offended because of me and I'll be left alone, as it were. And Peter said, no, no, no. Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be 
offended. The old Peter came out when, uh, when he was facing adversity and difficulty. When he was weary in the garden. All the disciples were weary. And Jesus had said to them, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tear ye here and watch with me. And he went and prayed, and then he came back unto the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me for an hour? Couldn't you pray even for an hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. When he saw Jesus in danger, the old Peter drew the sword. Remember how he whacked off the high priest's servant's ear. And when he was in danger, felt in danger himself, you know, in the, in the hall, he lied when that, when that girl said, asked him, aren't you also one of that man's disciples? I am not, no. And he denied Jesus twice more. Peter was not happy at that point. Peter was miserable. There was so much of Peter in Peter. He wasn't a wicked man. He wasn't, he wasn't a person like Judas. But Peter so often blundered and so often had the carnal response and did the wrong thing, contrary to what Jesus had for those three years been teaching them, contrary to Jesus' way and Jesus' purpose. And the teacher often had to chide him and correct him and rebuke him. <clears throat> And after the, the rooster crowed, uh, he wept bitterly. He wept for Jesus. And he wept for himself, for his own miserable failures. His conscience must have been torturing him. Not only had he denied Jesus, but Jesus knew it. And he knew that Jesus knew it. The Lord turned and looked upon Peter <coughs> after the rooster crowed. <clears throat> when I read about Peter, I sympathize with him. I know Peter. I've been that Peter. And I still sometimes am that old Peter. You recognize Peter? Peter needed something. He needed what we studied about in our Sunday school lesson this morning, a death and a resurrection through the power of Christ's resurrection.
to be buried with him by baptism into death, like we saw this morning. And that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It happened to Peter. Now I believe that Peter uh, died in the way that we studied about this morning in Romans 6. <clears throat> he died uh, the way Jesus died to himself. Completely. And that's not to say that he didn't have struggles. And, you know, this dying is a daily thing that was mentioned in our Sunday school class. And it's a process but there needs to be a complete reckoning of ourselves dead. That's the way he did. Jesus didn't stop at Gethsemane and say, you know, this is enough. I don't, I don't have to go through this. He didn't stop at the trial and try to strike a plea bargain with Pilate. And when he saw the soldiers coming toward him with that crown of thorns and that, and, the, and that whip, he didn't give up. He didn't stop when he stumbled under the cross or when the nails pierced him. He gave himself completely. And so Peter surrendered. And the old Peter died. And Peter was resurrected to a new life, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He experienced the promise that Jesus had given before he ascended, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And on the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues in the Spirit, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And he could preach, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, that's the Holy Spirit, which ye now see and hear. Therefore, a couple verses later in Acts 2, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> Peter was a different man. And the, uh, <clears throat> this was only the beginning of his preaching ministry. And the Pharisees, the Jews, they were really upset. But they were also impressed. 
They were impressed at the boldness of Peter and John and the disciples. And they were impressed with their, their lives. They were impressed with um, their message. They were afraid of it. They were terrified of it. But they were impressed. And they took note that they had been with Jesus. And what they were thinking of was, you know, they were with Jesus those three years. What they didn't think about was that Jesus was with them now, then, at that moment. That his spirit was within them. The lives of the life of Peter was a testimony to the resurrection. You know, there's all the uh, the evidence of the accounts and everything that that have convinced people the resurrection must have been real. But the most powerful testimony of the resurrection was people living a resurrected life. And that is possible, was possible then, and it's possible now as we die to self, identify with Jesus' death as we saw in Romans 6, and as we live in newness of life, as His Spirit fills us. There's a poem by George MacDonald, The Boat which is a subtitle is Simon Peter's Testimony. <clears throat> I owned a little boat a while ago and sailed the morning sea without a fear. And whither any breeze might fairly blow, I steered my little craft afar or near. Mine was the boat and mine the air and mine the sea, mine a care. My boat became my place of mighty toil. I sailed at evening to the fishing ground. At morn my boat was freighted with the spoil which my all-conquering work had found. Mine was the boat and mine the net and mine the skill and the power to get. One day there came along that silent shore while I, my net was casting in the sea a man who spoke as never man before. I followed him. New life began in me. Mine was the boat, but his the voice and his the call. Mine the choice. Ah, uh, t'was a fearful night out on the lake, and all my skill availed not at the helm. Till him asleep I waked, crying, Take thou the helm, lest water overwhelm. And his the boat, and his the sea, and his the peace o'er all and me. Once from the boat he taught the curious throng, then bade me cast my net into the sea. I murmured, but obeyed, 
nor was it long before the catch amazed and humbled me. His was the boat, and his the skill, and his the catch, and his my will. You can see the story of Peter there in that poem, shifting from my boat to his boat, from my life and my control and my skill to Christ. Our testimonies may be in various places like Peter's in his life and learning and progress as a disciple of Jesus. But we know where the answer is. And my prayer is for myself that, uh, and for all of us that we can learn not only what the answer is, but to receive it, to commit ourselves to it for his glory, to be greater testimonies of the resurrection of Christ. Shall we have a closing song?